0: on air. The industry itself is getting to the point where it really is ready to start embarking on a cross-border real-time capability. This is On Air by ANZ Institutional. We bring you the latest market-leading analysis and thought leadership from more than 30 global markets, giving you the information you and your business needs to thrive. The international payment space for uh, NPP has been a topic of conversation for many years now and we've been on a bit of a journey. You know, I myself, I think, have been talking about it and spruiking it for the better part of four to five years. Um, and it's yeah, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, you know, it takes time. I think the industry itself is getting to the point where it really is ready to start embarking on a cross-border real-time capability, um, albeit you know, there are still considerations that we have to to work through but um for the most part you know our our partners at um national payment plat or new payment platform australia have been uh, very supportive certainly along the journey to try and and get us to this this exciting step you know where we're just about on the precipice of having a real cross-border payment experience real time in australia which sort of kicks in at the end of end of this calendar year in December um, and then sort of continues on a bit of a journey through the first half of 2024. Um, It would be remiss of me not to say that MPP themselves have had that capability in place for a couple of years now, but I think the stark change that we're seeing now is just with the sheer amount of change in the industry, um, the fact that this is now going to be a regulated capability to be able to receive those transactions through the network um and also importantly make them ready readily identifiable is going to be a, a great a great thing for the australian market um you know the australian marketplace and and people offshore yeah, it's uh, it's going to really change in my opinion the the fundamentals of being able to transfer money internationally um into australia and you know it gives an opportunity for Uh, counterparts overseas to really change the way that they interact with their clients so you know i think it's um i think it's hugely exciting needless to say otherwise i wouldn't have been talking about it for four to five years but um you know in 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 that respect you know i look at it and think yeah we've, we've got domestic rails that enable us to basically bank on our own terms for want of a better term uh and i think the exciting aspect for People wanting to transfer into Australia is that we're really going to enable that to make it at their decision. You know, you, you bank when you want to bank, um, and so creating that broader convenience level, I think, is the uh, is the is the gold, as far as I'm concerned, in that in that overall solution.
1: Yeah, I think um, as you say, Luke, it's been part of the roadmap for quite some time, and but it's a very natural evolution. For the domestic rails, um, particularly for real-time payments to be built out and enable the the convergence of cross-border transactions into um, into the MPP, and really, yeah, allow, allow for an alternate fulfilment process for transactions that obviously have been, you know, historically predominantly uh, facilitated through RTGS and, um, and and certainly some of the other lower cost. Options through direct entry, particularly for those bulk payments. And I think that's an important point in that, you know, not only has MPP become far more prevalent in in the payment space domestically, we've got um, a a high level of reach, we've got traction in terms of volumes now, doing, you know, more than 100 million transactions per month and a substantial amount of account-to-account value and volume is, is coming through. We've got, you know, really good adoption of pay id coming through and it gives some um greater functionality for, for those who want simplified payments but i guess the point is addressing and and meeting the demands that are being driven by customers so you know they're telling us they want a faster more certain payment to be made or received um from a cross-border perspective they want it to be efficient and um as i said you know have that uh confirmation that they're going to receive that value to their account because they are relying on it and and certainly they want a lower cost option particularly where payments are being made for for lower value um, so I think um you know it, the timing's right we've got the right level of traction in the industry participants uh, are recognizing you know the value in in many ways like you know you called out there's compliance benefits efficiency cost gains you know let's face it the industry is is at a point where there's a greater level of demand and competition so we need to be in a position to offer um, yeah more efficient options across border.
0: Yeah I agree you've touched on a few points there that Often talked about in terms of the payments landscape you know reliability availability and um and low costs, et cetera speed um yeah I'd suggest yeah from a from a international payments perspective or cross border perspective, you know two of the common themes that I keep hearing these days which are hard to ignore is predictability people need to be able to know what's going to happen with a level of certainty. And, um, yeah, that's true of any type of transaction, not necessarily just an international payment, yet international payments have typically been the one that are hardest to predict, hardest to predict by time, by cost, um, by value in the customer's hand at the end of the transaction. So I think the, the journey for the NPP International Payment Service is to help bring down that uncertainty around it, make it much, much easier to predict the outcomes, um, which is, you know, I think is is a critical piece and it kind of talks to many facets of speed and agility, etc. for for the payments world in itself that I, I find it a really neat way to to bundle up all of those attributes. I mean, we don't tend to – there's an element of speed and, you know, instant payments if we broaden the term out to instant payments, then – that's often referred to around the speed of of that. Um, yeah, I think from an international payment perspective, speed's one thing, but the availability of the market is the real key for an international perspective. You, know, you think about time zones. Time zones introduce different operating hours. Different operating hours introduce cut-off times. Um, and if you if I'm sitting in Japan and I'm trying to send a transaction. Into Australia, I have to do it basically by midday, um, which which leaves me as a as a business or as a consumer a very small window to be able to execute that um, without having it take numerous days to be completed. So, yeah, you know, I think the ability to change that whole dynamic um, will be hugely impactful. And then, yeah, absolutely, you no, know, we can't ignore the fact that yeah you know, we want to drive cheaper services for our clients um, you know, and part of that is reusing some of these capabilities and and reusing some of the infrastructure that we have rather than build new right? um, yeah you know, for me that's that's that scalability of our investments is critically important you know if we keep adding on and on then the cost just keeps adding on and on so it's not to say that we don't have to do things like sanctions and risk obligations. We absolutely still need to meet those because, you know, they're critical, particularly from an international payment perspective, but reusing things like NPP for these services makes absolute sense. Absolutely.
1: And we talk about certainty in certain ways from a, a recipient perspective and also on the sending side, you know, one of the, the, the potentially unique aspects around the MPPAs and, and ANZ as a participant, we've really wanted to create... Um, an environment or a network that is fully enabled to receive these transactions, right? And so, the, the power of the ability to facilitate this is really about making sure that there's consistency in um, receiving these international payments and, and, you know, we're not creating a hybrid or, you know, multi um, payment flow. Option for for senders because it just creates complexity, right? So, you know, the approach that the industry has taken around making um, receiving these payments a mandatory compliance requirement is potentially unique compared to some other markets. Um, But I think it was an important uh, approach in order to make sure adoption was there. It's not to say that necessarily all participants will be there on day one, and I think that's. um, you know, a nature and factor of everyone's investment and delivery um, approach. But certainly the expectation that we create a network effect is really critical to make sure there's buy-in from, you know, a number of participants, both those directly engaged and those that are, you know, corresponding with with other institutions. So um, I think some... Uh, industry players might question that approach, but I think it's critical for, to make IPS work the way that we need it to work.
0: Oh, absolutely! I think you know reachability is, has, for some respects, been the um, catalyst as to why we probably haven't gotten to this point sooner. And and yeah, you know, I guess we appreciate that as a as a market domestically in Australia international payments will be of certain relevance more to some institutions than others um, and I think you know if we look at it like that then yeah you can imagine why some institutions wouldn't be necessarily um, that enamoured with the with the investment in the space but what I would say is that if we actually elevate that to looking at you know the economy and the market in itself you know services like these are an absolute betterment for the australian people and the the marketplace locally and yeah i think that's an important piece that we as as financial institutions play is to make sure that we are we are undertaking initiatives that for the betterment of of the general um population and so you know sometimes there will be things that we are not as enamored with because of our profile or what sector we may specialize in over others but if we carry that principle, I think that we stand in a really healthy place to, to make Australia that real beacon um, from a financial inclusion perspective as well. That you know, we'll have a marketplace that is dynamic and can facilitate transactions in the way that customers want to transact, um, rather than sort of being depicted and and shoehorned into a you know a more older traditional style of of banking as well
1: yeah it speaks volumes to how consumers and retail um uh participants are really driving payments much more than ever right and then it's evident across other payment types but you know even we've seen that in in international payments um they're they're driving the expectations that a consumer in particular user experience view uh, and the fact that the profile of international payments has is, is changed considerably over the years and decades. You know, like I mentioned earlier, they're all typically fulfilled through RTGS because they were commercial payments and they were high value and for, to facilitate trade and, and quite, you know, significant um, you know, corporate transactions predominantly. But now with the internationalisation, the level of globalisation... Travel, um, we're all very diverse, and, and particularly in Australia, we've got that cultural diversity as well that drives a greater level of cross-border activity at an individual level. So so the profile of payment is, is really quite different to where it was a couple of decades ago. Um, and, and so it just demonstrates why payments at, at an infrastructure level as much as at a participant level is really good to shift its thinking. Um and, and keep driving it based on that user experience um, and those consumer expectations are then influencing what corporates are wanting because those businesses are being run by individuals, but they also um yeah. want more from the banks of course and 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 other financial services providers so yeah it's it's a different you know market that we're facing into.
0: It is absolutely, and it sort of be remiss of me not to give props to the folks that came up with the design from an MPP um, design perspective all those years ago because you know whether it was conscious or not at the time, but what they've done is enabled us to be entirely flexible around how we offer these services. If I look at other geographies that offer similar types of Instant payment networks um, and those that are establishing those into potential cross-border um, payment networks as well. So, if I look at India, UK, etc., a couple of examples. Um, yeah, they're working within the realms of what the local instant payment network has around value caps and things like that. So, yeah, you know, I think yeah there is there is a unique position that the Australian market holds. With no value caps on its instant payment network, um, yes, it's intended to be, you know, um, individuals or P two P, but it's also, as, as you say, it's it's got a real relevance there for corporate, uh, corporate institutional clients, and we're really starting to see that growth. Um, you know look at the pay to services as well. There's nothing more, um, nothing more from a proof point perspective than to look at the popularity of of that particular model and and seeing that established in the marketplace as well so if I look at it in contrast to other geographies yeah they're doing a great job but you know the flexibility that we are afforded because of the design of MPP locally in Australia allows us to position certain from A&Z's position how we're looking to offer those cross-border services is really to make it as low touch as possible and not put anything on our client's side to have to decision or retrofit certain um, formatting or anything like that to be able to avail of the services. It will it'll effectively become our default. Um, yeah, and why wouldn't you want to get payments to a customer's account as quickly as you can? Uh, I think that's ultimately what we're aiming for here is people get their money in a closer to real-time environment environment. Um, Certainly, our approach to offer the services out to our our customers overseas is to really allow them the flexibility because that's the flexibility we've been allowed to use in the m p p environment so you don't need to fit within a cut off time you don't need to fit within a particular formatting structure um you know basically yeah the the future's in their hands as much as they want it. they can offer it to their customers. Much more dynamically than when they have in the past, but then again, that's their decision. You know, we, we appreciate that it's one country, one currency, um, but you know there is the beginnings of a, a framework. I think in how we should be approaching cross-border instant payments globally.
1: Yeah, that optionality is is, is perfect, right? Because realistically, we we still will have a, a hybrid state, right? Because you know. Um, we've come a long way in terms of adoption, as I mentioned, Um, but there are still some uh, participants and and members of the broader ecosystem that are operating on legacy. So we need to kind of bridge that hybrid state um, and, and, as you say, create that optionality um, and, yeah, facilitate as it best suits, whether it's the remitters or or the the recipients. So, um, and I think, you know, I always... (laughs) talk about from an ANZ perspective how we we really emphasise and acknowledge that, right, and and part of our kind of prop is really helping others bridge that gap um, and facilitate the integration of services, whether it's through translation activities or or supporting, um, uh, you know, that integration. Um, And and I think, you know, we've got a number of... Um, whether it's corporate, uh, FI, domestic clearing services or cross-border that um, really highlight the fact that we've been a a real partner to a number of our customers to support that activity and reduce the friction in the process, Um, whether they need to manage the legacy flows or or really that new state and, and leverage the new capabilities that are available through... MPP in particular.
0: Yeah, I certainly see, and you mentioned around the uh, the friction, et cetera, which is you know, often the the aspect that we're trying to resolve. I kind of see this is part of a, a start of a new wave of transacting. Um, and by that, I mean, it's, it's not going to solve all the world's problems in terms of removing friction from payments, et cetera, but it is a pathway to get us to an end state. And I think it's a big step um, you know, If I look at how operating models work today, yeah, are we yet at the point where we have 24 by 7 operations and liquidity? No, we're not. Uh, I think there are aspects that are still to be discussed and contemplated at industry levels and how we, we work our way through them. But I, I do see that you know, these services, while largely dependent on straight-through processing and everything going right, um is kind of that catalyst to then broaden out those conversations around well how do we treat things when they don't go worse or well and you know we expect those to be very minimal but they're still relevant. Um and at the moment I think it'd be fair to say that you know it's it's still very much a traditional business day aspect to the way that we we look at how we interact with vis-a-vis treasury vis-a-vis liquidity um operations etc um so and i think that's okay for now all right i think yeah we we work our way through it and this is a, this is a bit of a journey it's not intended to solve all the problems but um those will i expect to be the next elements that come into the into the framework for discussion and debate um it'll be very interesting to see how that Pans out because I don't know anyone that wants to work twenty four seven yet. Say, um, so. y- even working
1: after six <laughs> o'clock can be challenging for some. So, yes, uh, no, yeah. I agree. <laughs> I agree. It, it, there'll definitely be yeah a large transition to that point, and and a lot of it will be driven by the degree of technology. Right. That 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 you know whether it's our customers, our other participants, with how they employ that technology and leverage. The power of of some of what's coming to play, right? And um, and I think everyone's looking really hard at things like artificial intelligence and um, system automation and digitisation to to really help solve for some of that. Because, like you say, no one wants work twenty four seven. But um, but the reality is that those flows will eventually get to that state, and it's about how do you transition to that without um, leaving uh, some behind. So. Yeah, a lot, lots and lots to think about from, uh, from all sides of, of payments. That
0: was On Air by ANZ Institutional. Be sure to like, follow or subscribe to hear more.
1: This podcast is intended as thought leadership material. It is not published with the intention of providing any direct or indirect recommendations or to influence any person to make a decision in relation to any financial product or class of financial products. It is general in nature and does not take account of the circumstances of any individual or class of individuals. For further information, please refer to the full disclaimer at institutional.anz.com.